if you're looking to build an app, make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. I think a lot of people think that, you know, an app is going to be this panacea that, that saves everything about your business. And it really, you need to make sure that, uh, you know, app development is expensive. It's not as straightforward and easy as website development, for example. So when you're getting into this space, it's good to have, do your research, make sure you you know how it's either going to make you money or how it's going to save you money from your business. And above all, when you're working on an app, make sure you're thinking about your end user and, and providing the best possible value for them, because that's going to make sure that your app is successful in the long run. Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 569. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to the Positive Productivity Podcast, where you can guarantee that you will hear me messing up names every single day. I'm so happy you're here. And the reason I started off that way today is because I rehearsed our guest company's name five times. And I still guarantee you that this time I will try to get it. I will not try to get it wrong, but I will get it wrong. Oh my gosh, Tim, you're a podcaster. I'm just getting all the bloopers out of the way right now. But guests, I want to introduce <laughs> listeners. I want to introduce you to our guest today, Tim Bornholt, who is an entrepreneur, software developer, podcaster, and founder of the Jed Mahonis Group. Did I get it right, Mahonis? Hey, nailed it. I told you I just perfect. needed to come right in and get it right, like while I had it on the tip <laughs> of my tongue. Listeners, we skipped over like. Well, we didn't skip over a lot because I basically gave Tim the whole story of how I personally have five kids and a whole bunch of other stuff, but we skipped over like all the pre-chat stuff. So we're just going to have a blast. But Tim, thank you for being here. I've loved our pre-chat. I can't wait to hear what we chat about during the recorded portion. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be here, Kim. So entrepreneur, software developer, do those two go together? Or are you an entrepreneur as well doing something else besides software developer, but I'm not done asking questions yet. Podcaster and founder of the Jed Mahonis group, I think I got it wrong that time. How do these all play together? And how did you get there? And who are you? That's a tremendous question. So I'm Tim Bornholt. Yeah, I, so most of my entrepreneurial life has led to starting the Jed Mahonis Group. And, and what we do there is we build custom iOS and Android apps for businesses. And as a part of doing that, it's led me down a lot of different paths. As, as you know, once you kind of get the entrepreneurial bug, you kind of just go down all different paths and just see what kind of works for you. So my background, I went to school to the University of Minnesota originally for computer engineering, but ended up not really digging physics all that much. I, I failed out of it pretty miserably. So I switched over to journalism. So that was what I, I majored in and I minored in computer science. So I have a pretty extensive background in video production and podcasting as a result of my journalism training. And I've been doing website development since third grade. So I have a lot of technical experience as well. And, and so that's kind of how I've been able to do software development, running a business, doing a podcast, all that stuff. Just, it's just, I just like learning uh, how things work. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I get from what you just said that I'm just a little bit older than you. Um, <laughs> listeners, I turned 40 this year. So in third grade, we were working on Apple IIe's and mm -hmm. it wasn't until maybe 
ninth grade that we had internet in my house. And I remember my mom had a PC and I always loved to, like, I was the one who even as little or as young as when I got my first bike with training wheels, I was always curious about how the chains worked and I would constantly take them off the bike and she would have to Mm -hmm. take the bike apart to put the chains back on. But I figured out a way and I have a PC sitting right next to me, but I'm on my Mac right now. I wouldn't even know how to go into it on my PC these days, but I figured out how to get into the back end of my mom's PC, and somehow I deleted the utility or whatever for the mouse from mm. her computer, and maybe the keyboard too, so that was not so good, and <laughs> listeners, my kids just are not quite understanding quiet today and they're they snuck out into the next room so if you can hear them <laughs> my son Davey's like yeehaw I guess he likes that you know oh my god goodness but can you imagine I mean with all the access that kids have today I know that you have a couple and I have more than a few if they got into my computer and deleted files like that I can't even imagine what I would do and did you hear about that kid who locked his mom's iPhone for like 10 billion years or something this no. is like a year oh. ago. Like my son locked my iPhone the other day for five minutes. Thankfully, I don't live and die by my iPhone. But he just looks at me with these sad puppy dog eyes like, I can't play Plants vs. Zombies. I'm like, well, you should have stopped trying to hack my password. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's on you. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that, I didn't realize That's how you that, learn. Yeah. I didn't realize that there was physics in software engineering. That just yeah. actually blew my mind. Yeah, it, the computer engineering degree, computer it, it is, um, it's like, it's more like electrical engineering. Okay. So it, there's a lot of just base science that you have to have a background in. Mm-hmm. And I, I just thought it was going to be programming, you know, yeah. but, but computer engineering as a degree is a lot of like how the circuits work and how the actual, you know, it, it's like, we've learned how to trick rocks into thinking. That's basically what a computer is. So it's like, you have to figure out how did we do that? <laughs> and so it's all the like electrical stuff that goes into computers where I was more interested in just let people that are way nerdier than me deal with the low level stuff. And I'll just sit in my comfortable, high, uh, more higher level abstraction from that and, and just code on top of what they've done. So, yeah, that's why you go to college, though. You, you live and learn. Yes, I totally hear that. So I went to art school. I went to the School of the Art Institute of Chicago and got my degree in interior architecture. But I always wanted to be an architect. But physics was what actually stopped me. I had no interest. So sort of the same thing. You know, I did my stuff on top of what the architects had already done. Yes, I consulted with them, but I didn't need physics to get my degree or my my license or anything. And I was quite happy with that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. With physics, the way I, I failed was pretty, uh, it's a pretty funny story. The first day of class, we had to take a base level. Here's where you're going to fit in into this class. And I took it and I, I think I got the lowest grade in the class. So I thought, you know what, I'm really going to buckle down hard. I actually went to like office hours. I, I got a tutor. I was doing as much as I possibly could to learn and try to understand the material. And we first midterm and all my friends in the class afterwards, we got out and I was talking with them and they're all like, yeah, that was really hard. I, and I was like, okay, thank, thank Thank God, you know, that that I, I wasn't the only one that thought this was really challenging. Well, and then it also turned out that, you know, in college, they weight the grades. So they they take the average of um, what students get in the class. And so if everyone's doing terribly, you know, then if you get like, say, a 40 percent on the test, maybe that it puts you in the top 
you know, whatever, 10, 20%. So you get an A. So I, I was thinking, okay, well, uh, you know, hopefully the curve is good for me and, and we'll see how it goes. Well, you know, fast forward a week and we're sitting in the lecture hall and this is at the U of M there's, there's a, like a thousand person lecture hall and it was full because everyone was getting their midterms back. And the uh, professor, he's an old school professor. He had, you know, like the overhead projectors where he actually put the sheet on the overhead projector with the little marker thing. So he's talking about the class, uh, about the, the midterms. And he puts the, he said, here's, here's the grade distribution. And he sets this graph down and the curve. So if you think of like a typical bell shaped curve, how it's, you know, like, like a hundred percent and then it goes up at 50% and it's at the, the height and then at zero, it goes back down. Well, this curve, one fifth of the class got a hundred percent on this midterm. What? So that means that the curve was from, it went from a hundred and it peaked at 95 <gasps> and then it dropped down at 90 and then it straight back onto zero and these were you could see like the dots of the distribution so you can like see like everyone that had a grade uh you know you, you could see it on there so he's talking about this and then he makes some offhanded joke um while he's doing it and he, he he takes out his little the marker and he circles the bottom three grades and he says if this is one of you <laughs> you might want to consider a, a dropping out of this class right now ha 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 and like everyone in the class starts laughing well of course i'm one of those three three dots. And I just, I sat there and I was like, I don't need to take this. And I don't, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need to deal with this stuff. So I literally, I'm sitting in the middle of this thousand person lecture hall. I just, I pack up my laptop bag and I stand up and I crawl over all the people that are between me and the aisle. And I just walk out and left and I dropped out of computer engineering right then and there. Wow. Wow. Okay. So I, I understand the lecture hall, but at art school, especially mine, we didn't really have them. We had an auditorium that we would go to for our history lecture, and it would probably have like four or 500 students in there, and then we would break up into the smaller lectures during the week. But our yeah. school was actually pass-fail, because they, they thought, mm. how do we grade art, right? Right. So I did have to take a couple of electives, and listeners, if you can feel my pain, I would love for you to put a comment in the show notes and I'll give you that link in, in a couple minutes. Actually, I'll just give it to you right now. We, we are on episode, Tim, as a podcaster. I hope you appreciate this. I think you are episode 569. Yes, 569. So nice. any ahas, go to com forward slash PP569 and just leave a comment down below. But we had to take some general like electives and we had to take two English a math and a science, and I took calculus. I did great in pre-calculus in high school, but trying to learn calculus from, part of my mouth, an artsy-fartsy type who's trying to be all like out there in their way of, <laughs> I know I got it for one split second during the semester. And I don't, <laughs> and our final was actually writing a paper, which was, you know, at home with access to the internet. Thankfully, it was a pass-fail, because I would have been at the bottom of that curve, too. I was like, okay, that just solidified the fact that I am not taking the, I think, the GRE and going on for architecture. No, yeah. thank you. No, <laughs> thank you. So, you switch your major, journalism and computer science, and how did you become an entrepreneur, and where did podcasting come in? Yeah, so, you know, I, I ended up, when I was in journalism, journalism school, I got an internship at the the CBS television station here in Minneapolis, and I was doing commercial production. And the team that I was working with, pretty much everybody there did a bunch of side gigs where 
it would, you know, some other, one of them would hear that there was a job. So, um, you know, then someone would come out and shoot it and another person would come out and light it and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I was kind of taking along with them. And I also, at the same time, there was a, my high school theater director, her dad owned a company that timed races like marathons and, and triathlons and stuff. And he had an idea for a show with this in Minneapolis. There's this local Olympian named Carrie Tollefson. And she is, uh, if you've never heard of her, she does a lot of like commentary and stuff. She does like the Boston Marathon, New York Marathon. Um, she's on on TV doing the, the in-booth commentary. And he thought, you know, it'd be a good idea to do a show with her of just like a weekly show about running and fitness. And you know, none of them, he didn't know how to do video production. And my high school theater teacher didn't know how to do it, but they knew that I did. So they somehow entrusted me to basically uh, spearhead the entire show. And that was kind of that show was really my launch into entrepreneurship, because from there I would meet I met some people that had more connections. So I ended up doing some freelance video work for like the Minnesota Wild and Unilever and I helped the regional Emmy Awards. I, I got to help edit the uh, the broadcast graphics for that. And that was really the, the start of that journey. And over time, I, I really grew to love podcasting. And I thought it, originally we were doing it as a YouTube series. And, uh, you know, we kind of were getting stagnant with our our views. And I, I was thinking, you know, maybe instead of doing just, uh, there's so many shows out there about here's how you do the proper sit up, or here's a five minute plank exercise. What if we actually did more interviews with elite runners and, and kind of get more insight that way? I thought Carrie would be a good personality for that. So I helped transition that show into podcasting. And so that that's still a show it's called see Tolly run. And we still do that show. We're on, I think 160 episodes at, at this point of that. And I also, from that point, then decided we should just do a podcast for, for my own business. So I have a show called Constant Variables, where we talk about app development, but in a non-technical way, because I, I think a lot of times people think that when you're talking about software development, things can be a little jargony and confusing. And, and I think a lot of times uh, nerds like us like to really make things seem complicated so that you you pay us a higher hourly rate. So I wanted to start a show that would allow people to we could break down complex technical topics and, and make it simple for people to understand. So that's kind of my my foray into into podcasting or through those two two shows. Oh, I love how you how you said you break it down. To me, the word would be dry. And I'm sorry, that's it's <laughs> true. It would just be dry to me. But I, I know for people who are in it, it's not dry. It's like, oh, and I think I'm the same way on marketing, like automation you can go super yeah. specific into a lot of the world that would be super dry. But if mm -hmm. I were going to have a show Agreed. about that, no, let's, let's break it down. Like my sister who is part of my team, she actually, she's a Cornell graduate and she worked for 15 years in corporate and her joining my company, I realized, okay, she is very left brain. I am over the edge, right? So how do I explain this to her? Like even just explaining an opt-in or a, a lead magnet. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you explain it differently to people who are in the field than you do to out. And my husband is a video game designer. It's the same thing. He, he watches some YouTube channels or shows where there are four developers, but just the way that they express it, it's laughable, like laughable meaning amusing even to me just how they're bringing up these points for different <laughs> developers to think about. Like, why are you walking through gamers step by step on the game mechanics instead of letting them figure it out on their own? Like, why are you telling them, okay, yeah. push A to jump? I mean, nobody told us to push A to 
make Mario jump in 1980-whatever. We had to figure that right. part out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny you bring up that, that exact example, because I, I do that all the time when we're talking about UX, that the, the one of the best examples you can give someone of the best possible user experience for a mobile app is to bring people back to Super Mario, because you're exactly right. Like, no one told you that running into a Goomba would kill you, or that, you know, grabbing the mushroom would make you bigger. It's all things that the game kind of teaches you as you go along like if it just dropped you into world eight and you had to battle the mega bowser and like he chucks those 12 hammers at you right away like you'd be like what am i doing you'd be dead right away you know but the game like teaches you and it, tr- it takes you along a journey as you're going through it and it introduces you to to new concepts as you're playing and i think that's uh like the way that you would approach like building out mobile apps too is when you're doing user experience design you have to make sure you lead your your users through um, in a way that that makes uh, sense and, and gradually introduces them instead of just like I think whenever you load an app and there's like a 12 page tutorial right away of here's all the buttons you can do in the app. It's like no one wants to use an app like that. You just want to jump right in and do it. To me, it's not even that I don't want to use them. It's just, OK, you've got my attention right now for two seconds. I want to jump in yeah. and just start going. So are you really going to make me in the ones that make me sit through like their videos? Just let me go. Just let me play. I mean, sort of like deleting the mouse from my mom's, you know, computer. Just let me play with it and see what I can do. And then just give me an option. for Exactly. Help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. On a side note, we actually named one of our twins Zelda. Nice. As far as our family <laughs> is concerned, it's literary reference. But yeah. You and I both know uh, where it came from. Oh, yeah. My older daughter's middle name is Ray because I I wanted something from Star Wars. And it was like right after the the newest one came out. And I I was like, man, I I want my daughter to be like that. So (laughs) I I love having those uh, those great middle names like that. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay, sorry, listeners, but not sorry. We're going on a tangent. My husband's oldest daughter, her name is Kira. And that was a Star Trek reference. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how have you, uh, and this is not about what you do, and we'll circle back around to that, but how have you found podcasting to benefit your business? Or have you or haven't you? Like, I'm I'm always just curious as a podcaster, how the two play together for other people. Well, so from like a direct monetary return on investment, you know, if, if we're talking about all the time and energy. In, in coordinating interviews and everything like that, you know, we haven't generated a whole ton of leads and traffic from it. And that could be just as a fault of mine from, from marketing. I'm, I'm not the world's greatest marketer. But what I can say is that from any business that you run needs to be able to tell a story. And I've learned that time and time again through journalism school and, and training there, but also going through and interviewing other people about their stories. And I think having a, a podcast really helps you from a business perspective hone what story are you telling people and how are you, you know, everybody wants to be the hero of their own story. And so how can you craft yourself for talking about like if, if we're going to a, a Zelda reference you know uh, you're you're not link you know in, in your business the other the, your customer is link and you want to be everything you can to make sure that link gets to the final the, the victory and save Zelda you know that's really what we're going after as business owners and I think that's how podcasting has helped me is it's helped me be better about you know when I go on podcasts I can try to not ramble as much and and try to get to the point and 
and, and get people to get some kind of wisdom from whatever experiences I've had. And then on the other end of the microphone, it helps to be able to craft when I'm asking questions and trying to get people's story out of them. It's to be able to make them the hero of their journey and have them help other people as well as as they're on their journeys. Oh, I absolutely love that. I love how you said you're not Link. I actually just in the past couple weeks, maybe three weeks, went through this amazing training that was talking about LinkedIn. Yes, there is a point to this. And the training that I was watching brought up the very valid point of your summary is not about you. Like it is about you, but it's not about you because who's looking at your LinkedIn summary? Have you ever thought about this, Tim? Like if, if somebody, yeah. if somebody's looking at your LinkedIn summary and listeners, I want you to think about this. Do they want to know who you are or do they want to know how you can help them? And exactly. I never really thought about that before because I had a full bio, right? Well, not a full bio, but you know mm. what I'm trying to say. And when I shifted it up to be all about, Yes, a little bit of who I am, but how I support my clients. That's when the magic started happening. And it's only been three weeks. And <laughs> I think yeah. the same could be said for for any app. It's not about the developer. Sorry, Tim. It's about <laughs> the client or customer that's using it. What is this app going to do for them? Can you argue me on that? No, I can't. It, that's exactly it. Is We... Uh, doing app development from our side, it's all about the user experience, like I said earlier, and you're not the user of your app. You're trying to make somebody else out to be a rock star. Like, like nobody is going to download your app and just sit and heap praises on you for thinking up the idea of doing it. They're going to, if anything, what they're going to do is, is they're going to tell people, look at this cool app I found and look at the cool things I can do with the app. And as soon as you get out of your own way and, and help other people become heroes, you know, you might not, if you're in this entrepreneurial space to be heaped praise upon, it comes uh, very few and far between that, that you're going to get those, those chances. But where you can take away some of those warm fuzzies is by helping other people get their jobs done. And then in, in turn, you know, they'll pay you for your work or they'll, they'll pay you for the value that you provide. So yeah, if you're, if you're worried, if you're thinking about it, to you know, position your business that and how you're going to position your app. That's you definitely have to think about other people first, and they'll hopefully do the same for you. Absolutely. Now, I didn't know how it was going to be working with my sister because we shared bedrooms for the first thirteen years of our life, and it was not good. She, Jackie, I love you, but she <laughs> is OCD. I would have to say. She better not listen to this. And very meticulous. Like everything had to be lined right up. Now I was the one who I would do my laundry and then think that I was hiding it in my bed clothes. And I would have like just mounds of laundry on my bed and just everything everywhere. I'm a lot better at like, Tim, when my husband and I got married, part of my marriage vow was that I would give up clutter. Today, I have less clutter than my husband. I think it it breeds and then it spreads and then it it left me like he gets boxes delivered (laughs) and he keeps the boxes. Whereas when we first got together, he's like, can this go? I'm like, no, I need a couple days to make sure it works. And now there's he has loot crate boxes from five years ago in our closet. It's like, really? (laughs) Do you need that? You never know. (laughs) Apparently, 
Yes, we need loot crate boxes. If anybody would like to challenge us to be a minimalist, you will have to come in and do it yourself. But (laughs) after the LinkedIn change, she actually started looking at every other part of our messaging. And even though it's my, you know, the brand is Kim Sutton Positive Productivity, it is our brand, like the whole team. And she's like, you know, this is really fluffy. And I was like, what do you mean? And I think she does very well at using the sister cart because she'll say it exactly how she thinks it, which I think a lot of the other team members have resisted doing in the past because they don't, you know, they're afraid of offending, but she's not afraid of offending. I think she wants to help and she she just knows that she's got to be blunt. But she said, the text on your site's really fluffy. And if I didn't know you, then I would have no clue what you do. Like you need to do the same yeah. to your website as you've just done the LinkedIn, because right here on your homepage, people don't know jack squat about the services that you provide. And at first I was just speechless. I was like, ouch, ouch, Jackie, that hurt. (laughs) And then I sat there overnight and I had to send to her the next morning. I was like, you know what? You are so right. You need to keep on being honest. Like that is exactly what I needed to hear. Yeah, that I've been dealing with the same thing on our website for for years because in in our space when you look at other software developer websites, you know, everyone it's like there's just all these buzzwords and things that don't mean anything to anyone. Like I, I look at people's sites and I know that they do custom app development, but it's like transforming synergies with innovative digital whatever and it's just like yeah, what the heck does I've that always mean? struggled with. Are you making yeah, like, robots? How does that help me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It makes no sense. And I think that's like, I've tried on our website, we're in the middle of working with with someone to help us redesign our website again. That's what I've been struggling with with our businesses. I just want people to know, like, you know, there are companies that will brand themselves as we're the geeks. And you come to us when you need something done, because we're super hardcore geeks. And our message is more of like, do you need app? Like, do you need software built for your business? Because that's what we'll do. And that, that that's, that's just what we're normal people that happen to also know how to do software development. So, yeah, it, it is really um, trying to find that way to hone your message to to make it so you're not just bragging about all the cool things you've done. And like no one cares about that. And in a sense, they, they care about what can you do for me now? Absolutely. I actually love what you just said. Do you need software develop? We're just what did you say? We're just normal geeks. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> crystal clear to me. Like, I wouldn't have any question about what you do if I saw that. And all that other multiple syllable fluff that the other companies have, like they would lose me right away. Yeah. Right away. Like, who does that appeal to? I have no idea who that appeals. Even if I put myself in the position of I work for X Fortune 500 company and I have a budget of $30 million to spend on software, I'm still would rather go to the person that says, like, we do this as opposed to we're the innovative whatever. Like, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get who that appeals to. I think we forget that we're not doctors sometimes, if that makes any sense. Like, there are those doctors who speak our language and will tell us, but they're sort of, they're a needle in the haystack. We have to find them because there's a lot of other doctors. I mean, I actually, I neglected my self-care last year and I wound up in the ER four times. We are recording Mm. I don't like to timestamp my episodes, but we are recording in May and I have not been to the ER once this year. 
It's actually on my nineteen nice. for 2019 list not to go to the ER for myself. I have five kids. I have to, you know, accommodate that one of them will get hurt this year. Oh, yeah. It will just happen, <laughs> um, especially with athletes. But, you know, I saw one of my, the discharge papers, and there's this big, long, six-syllable word that starts with a couple like a couple more than a couple consonants. I'm like, which one was this for? Because I don't understand this word. I was like, oh, okay. And in and went straight in the trash. I was like, okay, that's not happening again because I don't yeah. even understand what it says. But um, right. yeah, mine said positive productivity, system support and self-care or um, helping entrepreneurs take burnout out of their business or something like that. That's what it did say. And I was like, but nobody's going to know what we do. So listeners, if you get anything out of this episode, I want you to take a look at all your messaging because does anybody even have a clue what you do if they look at your Facebook or your LinkedIn or your website? Because if now mine actually just says marketing automation and business automation and an Infusionsoft expert, it's like worded better than that, but it's pretty clear. That's what I do. Yeah. And more importantly, it's how can it, it help you? It's not all about what your, uh, all the, f- the fun, cool things your business has done for other people. It's how can person that's looking at your marketing, how can what you do benefit them right now? Yeah. Yeah. So I know we're like off on a tangent and stepping away from your story, but I, I want to lead this up with another <sighs> question just because of, okay, this is so, it's not an inappropriate word, but it could be because I made it up and anything that I say that I haven't thought of first could be inappropriate, but I get learning gasms. Okay. By going through all these trainings that I watch, I am just a learning nerd, especially around the topic of marketing. So with that said, I just had a brain fart. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Another factor that this training was talking about was the pain. Like what pain are our people feeling when they come looking for us? And I had never really thought about it because a lot of people may not even realize that they need marketing automation. All they know is that they're just exhausted from trying to do everything in their business. So what is a pain that people often have when they go to you? And I know that could be so wide ranging because, I mean, software development and app development can be used in so many different ways. Like it can be used to supplement the services or products provided by a business, or it can be used to better somebody's health, somebody's life in the consumer role rather than the business role. So actually, I guess the better first question would be, what types of people are you serving in your business? Is it the B2B market or the B2C or both? It's really, uh, it, as a marketing person, I'm sure it would drive you nuts, but it, it has been a lot of both. And because it, it's the whole thing, like if you're trying to be everything to everybody, you're, you're nothing to nobody. But honestly, a lot of our customers have been just all over the gambit. We've worked with companies as large as Great Clips and United Health Group, but we've also done a lot Great of startups. Clips. And every. You mm-hmm. said Great Clips? Correct. Yeah. Did you develop that app that lets us like put our name in and then my my family can go and get their haircut? Like schedule our appointment i just have to ask yeah that's us that was you thank you do you know how many hours you have saved us (laughs) oh yeah it's definitely our shining beacon in our portfolio (laughs) wow listeners i had no idea i mean i saw great clips on on tim's one sheet but i didn't know you know what it actually meant that he had done but this is just a genius model i mean you 
get the app on your phone. You know that you're going to be out running errands. You put your name in and then you don't have to go sit in the lobby, which can be grueling if you've got three kids under the age of five who are just trying to figure out how they can get to the suckers behind the counter. But now we can just put our name in, sit there for two minutes, get the haircuts, get the suckers, get out of there. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, we have customers like that. We have customers that are small. It's really, you know, your your question about, you know, what kind of pain points are we solving? I think there's some where it's a clear case. I mean, Great Clips, that one was one that that we got that idea pitched to us and we helped kind of hone everything, you know, around from the front end perspective. The apps, though, that that are I, I found really interesting are the ones where people know they need something fixed in their business. There's a process that they're working on that takes so long that they're doing it by hand that you could automate. And one example of that is we're working with a company that does manufacturing and they have a process where they have to do audits on the the outcome of the products because there's variance to it. So what they have to do is they have to take a caliper and they measure the thickness of these boxes that they're making and they have to do it 50 times, three measurements, 50 times. And there's somebody that's going through what the process is right now is that somebody has a piece of paper they're taking measurements, they're writing them down on the piece of paper, you know, 150 times. Then they walk up to their desk, they type in all those numbers into an Excel spreadsheet, they click a button that then generates one sheet, then they take that one sheet and move it to another program to generate another sheet, which then finally gives them the result that they're looking for. That whole process probably takes somebody two to three hours to do that, and they have to do this several times a week. What we've done is is we came in and we took that whole process and everything's now in an app and they can use a Bluetooth powered caliper. So when they go in, they take the measurement, they push a button, it goes right into the app. Then when they finish taking their calculations, they push one button and it generates exactly the report that they need. And then it can email it off to their supervisors and it's done. We took a three hour process and turned it into 15 minutes. And those are the types of, of things that I really like helping businesses do and discover is there's all these things that people are doing that take so much time and, and it's, it's, it's necessary. Like they have to run these reports as part of their contracts with their customers, but you can find ways to use technology to save you a lot of time and therefore, you know, make you some money back from, from having to spend all that labor. You can do things that are much more productive. Oh my gosh, Tim, we need to talk <laughs> outside of this because I've had this idea in my head which would save my team hours a month. And it's all about the key performance metrics in the business. And right now Mm -hmm. they're having to go here and there and here and there and everywhere to pull it all in. But what if we could, isn't, you're saying so many things that are really interesting to me and I'll sum it all up in one package. I was, before I started my business, like the last job that I had before I started my business was I was in the packaging department at American Honda. So like those fine tuned measurements were key. Mm -hmm. These guys had to figure out how to get part X shipped from point A to point B without breaking, you know? So those measurements were key. But one of the things that we were looking at in our department all the time was a dashboard, which measured, you know, how everything in the department was working. And this was something that they custom developed within the dashboard. And they had been working on it for five years to fine tune it. Like, and this was just guys who were doing this out of necessity. It definitely wasn't pretty, but it worked. Yeah. But there were points that had to be entered on so many different Excel spreadsheets. And it was my job to do that. And probably 
A good half of every Friday was spent gathering all those numbers so that it would be ready for Monday morning's meeting. And there were many Monday mornings when I was still scrambling to find numbers. And it was just painful. And I, every time I ask my team to pull together our metrics, like I, I feel pain because I remember what it was like to find them for, for us. But why should it be painful? Like, why can't we just right. pull this stuff? And stuff isn't the word that I would have used, but I'm trying to keep us family friendly. Coincidentally, <laughs> at the beginning of the episode, you were talking about your high school friend. And I think you said high school friend and her father did timing. Is that what you said? Yeah, it was my, my high school theater director. And yeah, her dad was the, uh, he owned this company that that timed yeah marathons and, and, and races and things like that. That's so crazy because last night was my son's final track meet of the season and there was a timing company there and their cameras weren't working, which is a big problem because yeah. they weren't able to get the numbers. So I <laughs> I can be on time for anything business related, but last night I was actually early for the track meet. That does not happen. He's also a runner. So all the field events happen first. So I give myself that grace. I can be there on time for his races, but I don't need to be there for all the, the field events. But I'm sitting there for like a half hour. Oh, and by the way, I got an idea for my new funnel on the way there. So I'm like sitting there trying to figure out how I can dictate my whole funnel into my phone. <laughs> and, and then they say, oh, uh, we'll be starting in about a half hour. I was like, seriously? Now I'm going to be sitting here for an hour? And I only have this much juice in my phone. And then two more hours goes by because the cameras aren't working. And by the time they got started, Mm. they announced that the numbers that they record will not be sent for state qualifiers anymore. Oh, man. So our team just stands up and leaps because that was the whole point of them being there. They needed those those last state qualifier numbers. I'm like, oh, mm." there was a word. Yeah. I'm Kim Sutton and I cuss a lot off the podcast. <laughs> and and we all left <laughs> after being there for like three, four hours. But I just felt so sorry because I looked at the company's website and it's a good thing I'm not one of those people who goes like I try to go on social media to praise people. If I have an issue with yeah. something that's gone wrong, then I will contact them directly. But I don't need to blast people on social media. Yeah. It was like, wow, look at where they've come from. Because in 2000, they timed four events. And this this year, and they're only in Ohio, but they're timing over 300 different events. Mm. And, you know, they're a small company just like me. They don't need to be blasted. Tim, I was feeling it last night. I was like, I've got so much to do, then wait for you. But I understand and I'll be nice because I understand how stressed you must be right now. But, oh my gosh, listeners, stay tuned. Because at some point after my schedule crazies down, Tim, I'd love to share my idea with you and see if, if there's a way that it could happen. But I do have a question Absolutely. before that. After your team builds out the apps, who handles all updates and everything? Do you handle that in-house or do you turn it over to your client and say, okay, get your, you know, get your development team who will keep things up with apps updates and ios updates and all that typically we just handle it ourselves we do uh, have the occasional client especially when we're dealing with a startup we've had 
had clients in the past where we support them up to a certain point and then they get to the point where they really do need a full-time round-the-clock team developing things but when it comes to the kind of software that we build you know there there are yearly things that need to be done like when ios and android update and do all that kind of stuff but you know it, once you build it and it's working as long as you're not adding a ton of features and you're not things aren't changing around you uh you know we, we ideally like to build software that just kind of works so but you're right there is maintenance that does need to be done and when that happens our clients just come back to us and and we help we help uh, however we can you know i think i was thinking about that because just about a month ago i had the founder of planner on and planner helps you make your instagram layouts look incredible and it Hmm. was it didn't even occur to me that while her app may not need to be updated when instagram is constantly updating that's where she needs her team of 10 to stay on top of Instagram and Facebook and whatever other tools they bring in. They're looking at other social media apps too, but just for her that, and she bootstraps that every new social media platform that she adds, like it's not like just having to keep up with Apple or um, iOS or Android. It's also, I mean, Facebook changes every single day, it feels like sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's one thing I always worry about when people say, like, we got to have, like, log in with Facebook and log in with this. And, and we got to integrate with all these social things. And it's like, do you really need to do that? Because in some cases, like like the, the planner app you were talking about, yeah, like, that's the key whole point of the app. But if your app doesn't necessarily integrate directly or you have a, a strong need, to integrate directly it's like skip the headache and just have a, a way for users to just export whatever you're doing into facebook or whatever and, and just let them deal with it well and what happens when you say something which pisses facebook off and you get kicked off the platform or when you decide that you no longer want that right. drama and you've used facebook as your login for all these other platforms and you're no longer there Right. That's what I've often thought about is, no, I'll use my email because I know I can get in there and change that out if I need to. And even for my team. Exactly. I mean, I use LastPass with my team and I've got, I've lost count right now of how many team members. (laughs) When when I use the Facebook login, like it's a pain to share login access with them because then they have to also have my Facebook. And I don't necessarily want everybody having access to my Facebook. Right. Yeah. Well, what's exciting you the most right now about the next 90 days in your business or in your podcast? (laughs) Well, I think with my business, it's funny when we started the business, my business partner was going to be doing all the business stuff, doing all the sales, marketing, numbers, all that stuff. And I was going to just be doing all the tech stuff. But about a year and a half ago, we switched. We did a 180. I'm doing all of our sales and marketing and that kind of stuff. And he's doing all of our technical stuff. He learned programming and, and whatnot. And, and he does all our project management. And I, I like to say I get everything in the door and he gets everything out the door. So what's been exciting me in the next 90 days, what I'm looking forward to is I only have two more projects that I'm actually developing on and I, I'm wrapping those up. And when I'm done, I'm done. And the only thing I'm going to be doing is focusing on building our sales process and figuring out you know how to basically how to close more deals and, and get more people in the door with with marketing. So that's what's been really exciting me is just continuing to I, I think I got a good handle on how apps work. And I, I really do like figuring out how everything in our business works. So I'm excited to have the opportunity to really focus hard on how to improve our our sales and marketing processes so we can scale even larger than we are right now. 
Well, I think for marketing, just getting on this podcast would, you know, or any podcast would be huge. I mean, yeah. you've got me already thinking about an app. Yeah. Well, I mean, I and I can hear listeners' gears clinking in their clinking. How, what do gears sound like, <laughs> Tim? Grinding. Grinding. Well, okay. I guess if they're, if they're not... Grinding would be bad, I guess. Yeah, you don't want your that's why clinking doesn't sound. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, shifting, shifting. Thank you. I can hear the gear shifting. Like, hmm, what could I do? Ooh, because I know I'm not the only one who. I mean, oh, I can't wait to talk to you about this. But, oh yeah, oh, fabulous. And where can listeners find you online so they can get to know more about you? And even more, where can they go to subscribe, rate, and review your podcast? Absolutely. Well, the podcast is constant variables and we're everywhere. You know, you gotta, you gotta be everywhere where podcasts are. The website is constantvariables.co. And if you're interested in mobile software development and you have an idea and you just want to know, is this a good idea or, or how can we, how can we make this work for our business? Check out our website at jedmahonisgroup.com or you can just Google Jed Mahonis Group because spelling Mahonis sometimes isn't, uh, isn't simple. So that's really where uh, you can find me and find us. And I love to chat apps. So anybody that wants to chat apps, give me a shout. Fabulous. Now, listeners, if you're driving, if you're trying not to burn dinner, by the way, I was listening to a whole bunch of previous episodes. And I, for some reason, for a whole bunch of them, I said, if you're trying not to cook dinner, yes, that would also apply to <laughs> me. But if you're trying not to burn dinner, or if you don't want to fall off the elliptical, you know, writing that down right now, you can go to the show notes which again are at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP569. Well, Tim, this has been absolutely fantastic. I would love to know, well, first, thank you again for joining us. You've got my gears. We, we said shifting, right? You've got my gears shifting. shifting. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Yeah. If you're looking to build an app, make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. I think a lot of people think that, you know, an app is going to be this panacea that, that saves everything about your business. And it really, you need to make sure that, uh, you know, app development is expensive. It's not as straightforward and easy as website development, for example. So when you're getting into this space, it's good to have, do your research, make sure you you know how it's either going to make you money or how it's going to save you money from your business. And above all, when you're working on an app, make sure you're thinking about your end user and, and providing the best possible value for them, because that's going to make sure that your app is successful in the long run. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level.